Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Hot Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Razorback fans, welcome in to episode 90 of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Sutherland, and I'm going to be your solo host for segment one. And then in segment two, Porter Hayes will be interviewing none other than the first lady of Razorback basketball, Danielle Musselman. So we'll get to that once we get through a little bit of news that we have had over the past week. If you guys have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on any forum that you listen. And please be sure to also give us a five-star rating and let us know in the reviews how we're doing. You can give us a quick write-up. It takes less than about 20 seconds. Just let us know how we're doing. Help us get our name out there. I want to start off, we have not covered, since we did the bonus podcast with Joe Ferguson and then took the day off on Sunday to spend time with our families for Mother's Day, We have not had a chance to talk about the two commits that the Razorbacks got last week on May 8th, which of course was defensive back Kewan Parker and running back Javion Hunt on May 9th. So back-to-back days uh, that the Razorbacks scored some commits for Sam Pittman and his staff. Both guys out of Oklahoma, of course, Javion Hunt out of Carl Albert in the Oklahoma City area, and then Kewan Parker out of Booker T. Washington, both very high-profile schools in the state of Oklahoma. I believe actually Felix Jones was from Booker T. Washington when he came in in 2005. So that brings the Razorback recruiting class now up to seven commits for 2021. And it's kind of crazy because in the last month, five of those seven have committed. Now, of course, uh, Terry Wells was the first one to commit on February 1st, and Marco Avant uh, was uh, was the next one on April 3rd. So you get two guys and then COVID happens and it seems like the coaching staff, which I think a large part of this, uh, this pandemic that we've been having has actually been a dead period for recruiting, but nonetheless, the coaching staff has really done a good job of, of cleaning up on some guys that they wanted, gotten a linebacker, a quarterback, running back, a couple defensive backs, and also an offensive lineman, uh, in that time frame. So, uh, Sam Pittman and his staff doing a lot of good work, especially in the state of Oklahoma. There's a lot of talk that I've been hearing that we could have more guys coming from Oklahoma. This coaching staff has really done a great job of getting that footprint there. I know that I said multiple times this before I was a part of the hog talk, but I had mentioned many times that as crucial as Texas is, as crucial as the Memphis area is, 
Oklahoma has a lot of talent as well. A lot of great football programs that you think about what I just mentioned, of course, uh, of course, uh, Carl Albert and Booker T. Washington. You've got Jinx in there, won a lot of state championships. I believe they're outside of the Broken Arrow area of the state. But I haven't had a chance to watch film on a lot of these guys. I have watched uh, Cole Carson, who is, of course, the commit out of uh, Rivercrest. And I, I, I've lived in Texas for three years, and I still can't pronounce if it's Bogata or Bogata. I uh, watched some film on him, and that guy has a really high motor. He's got a lot of development to do, which I don't worry that Sam Pittman will have any trouble developing an offensive lineman, especially uh, one of this guy's caliber, really quick hands, really quick off the ball. Watched Landon Rogers, the quarterback out of Parkview that committed on uh, April 16th. That's another guy that's got all kinds of ability. And Ty and I mentioned it, and Porter and I have talked about him as well. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's got to work on his mechanics some. But no matter what he plays, whether it is quarterback, that he turns into one of those that is successful in that area, or if he has to move to tight end or move to any other position, I think without question that Landon Rogers is going to be a very successful football player regardless of what position he does play. The other night I was watching film over Javion Hunt, the running back that I just mentioned. I know we don't really know all the names right now if you haven't been keeping up with recruiting a whole lot. But what I really got out of this guy is he has very, very, very good vision. Follows his blockers really well. He doesn't try to make the play just by himself. Now, he can break some tackles, but he he waits for the play to work itself out. You see that a lot with, with Zeke Elliott. You saw it with Alex Collins. Those are two guys with phenomenal vision that just came off the top of my head. Alex Collins, when he was in a Razorback uniform, and of course some of the things that he was able to do with the Ravens, I guess it was in 2017 and 18, he has some of the best vision I've ever seen out of a running back personally. Now I'm not saying that Javion Hunt is on that level as a guy going into his senior year of high school, but the first thing that did stick out to me was his vision. If there's a pulling guard, he waits for the guard to set up the block. If there's a guard and a fullback that is going to be his lead blocker, he waits for both of those. He just waits for plays to develop, and he can also catch passes out of the backfield. I didn't see a whole lot on his pass protection, which, of course, in this particular offense, the Kendall Bryles runs will be extremely crucial. But I did really like the things that I did see from him. I really had not heard of him. Uh, a lot of these guys that they've offered, it seems like they're just throwing out offers all the time. You get not- or I've been getting notifications on Twitter quite a bit uh, that they've offered this guy or that guy. It's that time of year that they start doing that. But um, I was very impressed with the things that I saw from him, and I think he's going to be a great addition to the backfield. Of course, with Rakeem Boyd going out, um, going to, and I, th- I think that next year, I think Rakeem actually is the only senior next year. Traylon Smith, a transfer from Arizona State, I want to say he's going to be a junior. So uh, don't know that Javion Hunt will come in and immediately contribute for playing time, but I really like a lot of the different things that he can do. And he, he can't just catch your typical pass out of the backfield. There was one play I was watching where he kind of hesitated for a second, ran a will up the right side, and then he caught a pass in the end zone for a touchdown, of course, um, in between two defenders. And so uh, this kid can really play. would really like to see, again, some of, uh, some of his plays when he's in pass protection, just to see where he is from that regard. But there's there's plenty to love about his game overall. So I think that uh, they're doing – that the coaching staff, as I've said so many times, as I've mentioned when I've done the recruiting updates or when we've done the recruiting updates, 
really think that they're uh, they're getting football players. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when Ty and I were on that they might not be getting elite guys at least on paper. These four and five stars, everybody that they have right now is a three star. All seven commits are three stars uh, over in the overall big picture, but. That is one thing that Sam Pittman is known for. He gets guys, and sometimes he might have to find a position for him. Now, I understand he was an offensive line coach, but when it really comes, when you look at the guys that he recruited, Denver Kirkland, Dan Skipper, Frank Ragnow, over the years, just talking about from the Razorback career, yes, they might have been great offensive linemen, but they knew how to play the game. They were fundamentally sound. Trey Biddy actually really made I was listening to uh, 103.7 The Buzz, and, of course, Trey Biddy's on there. Uh, every every afternoon at five o'clock on Drive Time Sports, and he had mentioned. So when I'm recording this, it's on Thursday. I was listening to it earlier, and he mentioned that that first tenure under Sam Pittman, Arkansas might not have won a ton of games. They were fairly successful during the middle of the Brett Bielema era with Sam Pittman there from 14. I guess I guess it was just 14 and 15, but you hardly saw them get whipped on the offensive line. You hardly saw guys lunging at a defensive lineman. They knew how to move their feet. They knew how to keep their shoulders squared parallel to the line of scrimmage. And so that's what we're – I think that's what we're going to see. We might not win a lot of – I don't think we're going to win a lot of games in Sam's first year. I think the, the sky – the limit to the sky is about four right now. I just don't see anything more than that. I said under Chad multiple times that we're going to be competitive. Um, that didn't happen under him. I definitely have zero doubts about that under the coaching staff that we have in place at the moment. And so um, going to be interesting to see what happens from here on out with recruiting, especially since five of their seven have been during this pandemic. I think that we, there's a lot more things coming and there's going to be I don't really buy into the whole three and four and five stars. I understand that you look at the draft, you look at you look at the NFL draft, you look at the college football playoff. A lot of those guys playing in that were four and five star players, but I really believe in a lot of these guys that that they're getting, and it's still early. Still got plenty of time for 2021. And the main thing I wanted to talk about on this, of course, give a a quick update on recruiting. But guys, before I start this, I know that we have touched on this podcast about COVID-19 and um, Ty and I have, I know that I've given my take. I think really all of us, but maybe Jacob have given what we think should happen, especially given the circumstances that we're in and, and how uh, the, the curve has been flattened, so to speak. I want to make sure that I'm clear that anything that I'm about to say, most of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about is fact. It's not opinion. Uh, it's about particular programs being shut down or particular conference conference tournaments being shut down. But you might disagree with some of the things that we say. We try to be as poli- as little political as possible. We We try to just stick to sports because that's what you listen to us for. But I don't really look at this as a political deal. Of course, everything today – is really about, okay, what is the the opinion of the Democrats? What is their opinion of the Republicans? I think this is something that we all need our voices to be heard. It's very important. Now, um, the main thing, as we've said so many times, is staying safe. But where we're at right now, 
And initially, many were saying that we need to wait till we flatten the curve. And now that things have began to open up, of course, in Arkansas, uh, Governor Hutchinson has has opened up gyms and churches, uh, hair salons, restaurants have been reopened to about 33% capacity. So we've made a little bit of progress. Now, some people are extremely happy about that. Some people are extremely not happy about it. But I, I just wanted to go into some things that it is having on the sports world. And I just wanted to make sure that it's okay if you disagree with an opinion that I might have. That's fine. Uh, when I had talked about it, I guess, two weeks ago at this point, there was a couple people in our Discord uh, that disagreed what I had to say. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that we all definitely need to talk about this, though. And as of, I believe it was Wednesday night, Wednesday or Tuesday night, the MAC conference, which I believe stands for the Mid-Atlantic Conference, announced that they were going to be suspending conference tournaments moving forward for their spring sports. So, of course, that means men's and women's soccer and tennis, baseball, softball, field hockey, and lacrosse. Now, the men's and women's basketball will continue, but there will be some major adjustments, just like we're going to have major adjustments for college football. Um, and they're going to do away with the two-division format, at least in basketball. We haven't heard any word on football yet. Uh, the commissioner, John Steenbracher, which I probably just butchered his name as I do so many times with many people, he essentially said that as the financial situation changes, it's going to give them a chance to reevaluate. I mean, that's typical things that you're going to hear from an official, especially a commissioner that's going to be the spokesman for the entire conference. And this is really big because, I mean, I understand the the MAC is not a massive conference in terms of being well-known and, to, and tons of success, but they are D1. I mean, you've got schools, uh, Northern Illinois, who was, I think it was 2013, 2014, was flirting with the New Year's Day Bowl. Ohio, I think, actually, I don't know if the Ohio uh, Bearcats or whatever their mascot is. I think they used to be in the MAC, but I want to say they're maybe in the Conference USA now. But either way, there is there is some schools that, that you've heard of that are there. Um, I know Ball State's there. I mean, we've all heard of them, but in terms of success, it might not have been there. But this is a big deal because it's reaching to the Division One level. Now, I haven't looked at the full list of schools that have shut down particular programs, but the first that I had heard of it was last month when Cincinnati of the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, dropped their men's soccer program um, after having one since 1973. And I just think that it's going to continue. It, it's like I kind of compare it to, you. let's say you're driving behind a Mack truck. And it throws up a little pebble. It hits your windshield. And it gets just a little tiny crack in it, just a little tiny chip. But you don't pay any attention to it, and then it continues to just get worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, I'm not saying that the bottom is going to completely fall out and that window is going to shatter and we're going to have no college sports. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But I think if we continue to go down this road of if we can go to Lowe's, I'm, I'm going to leave the grocery store out, even though I've seen people way too close and seen way too many things at the grocery store that just uh, the hypocrisy is astounding with so many different things. I mean, first off, out of all the times that I've been to the grocery store since COVID hit, I've paid with cash maybe one time. I usually pay with my debit card or my credit card. But first of all, they don't sanitize the, the pen pads for your credit card. 
the they don't they don't sanitize the conveyor belts. Now, it's not really logical to think about that they can do that after every single transaction, considering how busy they are. But my point is, if you can go to the grocery store and be two feet away from each other, now let's let's all be honest here. Those one-way lanes that Walmart created, nobody's following them, at least not from what I've personally seen. I'm not following them. I don't think really anybody is. If you can go to Lowe's and get your home improvement projects and be two inches away from somebody, you can be uh, there. Uh, college athletes can be on a football field or on a basketball court or on a baseball diamond and playing without fans. So please don't mistake me here. I'm not saying that you should just reopen everything and go back to normal. I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse. But for instance, Florida Tech in, in Melbourne, Florida, they were the, the most recent at the time I'm recording this to completely eliminate their football program. Now they just started seven seasons ago in 2013. And in that time they went 44 and 35. They made the division two playoffs twice and had 18 players in seven years named all American and their head coach, Steve Englehart literally was there from 2011 when they were getting things worked out to start the football program, literally built it from the ground up. He went 44 and 25 and he won coach of the year twice. I believe they were in the Gulf South conference. Now, I know of this. I probably would not have known this uh, without one of my, a good friend of mine, Rick Mentor, who, um, for those of you that might have followed me on Tex Hogs when I was doing that, I believe it was last September. And I still have all my Tex Hogs podcasts if you want to listen to this particular one. It's a very intriguing uh, episode. It's about an hour or so long. Rick Minner has been a coach in college football for a long time. He went to Henderson State actually at the same time that my mom was there. Played there, was a, was a graduate assistant for the legendary Sporty Carpenter, then went on to be a graduate assistant for Lou Holtz at Arkansas, coach with Monty Kiffin at Arkansas, and also at um, – and Pete Carroll at Arkansas and at NC State. Ended up being a, the head coach at Cincinnati, I believe it was from 94 to 2003. And in his time as head coach at Cincinnati, he – at at various times, he had Sam Pittman on his staff in 1996, Mike Tomlin, uh, Rex Ryan, John Harbaugh. I believe Joker Phillips was there upon, once upon a time. What got Jimbo Fisher on the map was he was the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati for Coach Minner, and they put up like 500-plus yards on Ohio State. So some guy named Nick Saban calls Coach Minner when he gets to LSU and basically gets permission to offer Jimbo Fisher – the offensive coordinator spot at LSU, and they ended up going on to win a national championship. So that's kind of essentially how Jimbo got his start with the big boys. And so I know I just kind of went off on a tangent there, but that, but um, really good episode. I think that a lot of college football fans would really find that intriguing. But, but Coach Minner's Facebook post was actually how I found out about Florida Tech shutting their program down. And it's, it's very – I mean, not just because it's a program that's being shut down – this is not just some team that goes 0-10 every year in D2. This is a successful, albeit new, but successful football program that was forced to close its doors because of what's going on. And you see what, what is happening in the MAC. A lot of people don't understand, or they just don't care to know, because it's not really something you think about if you're just like an average fan, that not even an average fan, just the person that occasionally watches sports on TV every once in a while. All those sports are funded by college football. 
without college football, you don't have softball. And all but maybe about eight to ten Division One colleges, mostly pretty much from the, I would say I, I would venture to guess maybe from the SEC baseball is paid for by a lot of that too. Now basketball pays for itself in a lot of regard at a lot of schools, but we're, I, I bring this up and I make such a point for this is because we are a sports podcast. We know economically what kind of hurt that this is putting on us with people out of work. I don't even know what the, I know that the last I had checked, which is about a week, week and a half ago, we were over 30 million unemployed. And so my, I am making a case that, and I think that there will be college football, but without question, these kids need to be on the field in the fall. Does there need to be butts in the stands? No, not necessarily. I don't want to speak too far in advance, but I definitely think that there should be kids on the field playing the game they love, trying to further their football careers just like we've seen for the past however many years, what, 150 years in college football. So I think it's extremely crucial, and I just wanted to bring that up for those um, that didn't know about Florida Tech, that, that were not aware of the MAC. Uh, so that's pretty much what I got, guys. I know that was a, a little good bit of a little rant there, but hope you got something out of it. And again, guys, please be sure, if you have not already, to uh, subscribe, rate our podcast, give us a review, tell us how we're doing. And uh, we're going to hit a break really quick, and then Porter will interview um, Danielle Musselman. So looking forward to that. Stay with us. We will be right back. Since 1984, Max's Garage, located at 1010 South Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas, has been your one-stop shop for all your auto repair needs, including tune-ups, oil changes, transmission repairs, and even body work. Stop by or give them a call today at 870-942-4612. That's to be joined by former sportscaster and first lady of, of Razorback basketball, Miss Danielle Musselman. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking time away from these crazy times to spend a little time on the podcast with us. So, you know, first off, you know, how was your first year in Arkansas been? Um, you know, it's been a year that I probably will never, ever forget uh, just because moving from job to job is just a hectic time for all coaches. And our situation was um, hectic and amazing all in one, you know, once Eric got the job, it was just a total whirlwind. And then my daughter and I, and my stepson had to finish up life in Reno and then Eric immediately starts work. So you have several months of being separated and me trying to sell one house, look for another house, maintain a sense of normalcy for my daughter and, um, you know, try to fly back and forth and see my husband and give him the support that he needs. So, um, you know, those first three months are really hectic. And then kind of once we got settled here and moved into the house, uh, it was basketball season time. And so that's, um, 
just so much fun, but that's also a really busy time. And the way that the season ended was just, you know, so insane. It was nothing that anyone expected or has seen before. So, I mean, this entire year is, it's definitely been, I I should write down my thoughts once a month because things just, (laughs) you know, are constantly changing and happening. It's been been interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it was really hard, you know, because all the coaches were, you know, with how the season ended for the basketball and the spring sports. I mean, just hearing, you know, I recently had uh, Coach Diefel on, and, you know, having to be the coach and tell your kids that your season's over before it really gets started or like in, in Coach Neighbors' instance of they thought they were going to the NCAA tournament and to sit there and have to tell them for, you know, how hard they work now their seasons and for the seniors like Alexis Tolfrey, you know, that, that their time at Arkansas is done. Oh, it's heartbreaking. I was with the team whenever it happened. We were all at the SEC tournament and we had played, you know, really well the night before and fully expected that we were going to play just in front of no fans. And it went from my husband thinking we were just going to all have a team breakfast to um, actually you have to stand up in front of everyone and give a season ending speech. And so it was, um, it was shocking and it was really sad. There were tears all around. I know I started crying. Um, It was, it was just sad, you know, just sad. It's the only way I can describe it. So during, you know, these unprecedented times, you know, I mean, as, as a coach's family, I mean, has this changed your daily routine or, or is this normally when you'd be able to spend more time with your family? You know, not, no, not really. Honestly, I, I, I like, I laugh because I tell people for us, it actually got crazier for Eric because everyone, all of the players entered the portal all at one time or the majority of the players where usually, you know, seasons end slowly, slowly. And so there might be 10 players here and then another five here, but all these players entered the transfer portal. So it was like immediately whenever he got back, he had scholarships to fill. So he was just jumping right on that. And then you're having to navigate our new situation on the fly where you have to figure out how you're going to reach these kids without being able to see them in person. So um, it was, it was a lot of work for him, for my daughter and I, it was, you know, just a big shift to figure out the homeschool situation, which I think we're still trying to figure that out on a weekly basis, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, been tough. Know, that AMI, you know, I, I have three boys and just, you know, two of them's in, in elementary and I got one in junior high and just the, the Zoom meetings and all the Google classrooms, the PBS AMI, I mean, everything. You're basically a substitute teacher, and it's been challenging for, for everybody who's having to do it. Oh, totally. And, you know, my daughter's a social kid, so it's not been her favorite thing not getting to see her teachers and her classmates and all that stuff. But, you know, this too shall pass. We just got to get through it. Yeah. So recently you mentioned, you know, like the the fans in Arkansas and, you know, how passionate the fan base was. And, you know, what was your reaction coming to Fayetteville? And, you know, you got to witness how just how passionate and unique this fan base, because in Arkansas, you know, and like other sports and and states, this is all the state has is really the Arkansas Razorbacks. So, you know, what was your reaction to the fan base as a whole and have them welcome you with open arms? 
It was just, it was so unbelievable because it was nothing like I had ever experienced before. And I started getting a taste of it before Eric even got the job because um, I think it was maybe four or five days before he got the job. There were rumors that he was on campus and people had these alleged pictures of him getting off of a plane and none of it was true. And so just even seeing that unfold, we're like, wow, these people are just you know, just hungry for information and they just can't wait to see what's going to happen. And then once he did get the job, just from a social media standpoint, I mean, we would just wake up every morning and have, you know, 5,000 more Twitter followers on a daily basis. And so um, just seeing everyone's interest in who the new coach was and not just him, but just learning about his family what it was unbelievable to us and we couldn't even you know we couldn't even really wrap our brains around it you can talk about the fans of in Arkansas and how passionate they are all you want but until you actually see things like that then you're like oh okay I see what's happening and then I think Eric's uh press conference was um broadcast all around the state and so a friend of mine from high school has a friend in Little Rock who is um, saying, yeah, that's that's my friend and her husband and the friend in Little Rock is like, are you serious? You know, they've been on TV all day. And um, it was it was just really cool uh, to see what the fan base is like here. They're incredible. So so you got to witness the whole Twitter plane tracking and, and all that, that, that whenever there's oh. a, rumors of a new coach, there's people actually tracking planes from Drake Field. <laughs> and I have to tell you, it was like one of the worst days of my life because I went to the gym to work out. Me and my husband, my whole family was in Reno. Whenever the rumors came out that he was in Fayetteville, I had left my phone in the car. And then all this news came out and I went to my, I left my workout and I had like 30 missed calls. I had friends that were mad at me because I didn't tell them anything. And I'm like, nothing's going on. We're all here right now in Reno. <laughs> Oh, I I, I think I actually remember a picture (laughs) that he had to take and show that he was in Reno. Now that you're saying that, that that's the crazy thing. You give a passionate fan base social media and there's no telling, (laughs) you know, what you're going to get from it. I mean, but that's the South, you know, like, you know, my wife's from Michigan and I took her to meet my family. My dad's from Greenville, South Carolina, and I, I tried to prep her for months like look when we go out to South Carolina my family's gonna welcome you and they're gonna love you like they've known you for years and she she didn't get it like you said you until you see the fan base then you get it when she got out there she was weeping by the time we left because just how they opened arms to her she's never experienced anything like it so I always correlate that to the to the (laughs) fan base because that's just how it is I mean yeah but, uh, you, you know, for <laughs> being a former sportscaster, I mean, you know, talk about, you know, your journey through through the ranks of sportscasting, you know, starting out in small markets and getting up to, you know, the NFL network, you know, in, in a time where not many women were doing sports. And, you know, how does that make you feel now seeing more women get into the game and the sports broadcasting and and being very successful at it? Oh, well, I'll start with the the second part of that. It makes me so happy because one of my favorite things to do now is to talk to young people. And honestly, I swear it's like 50-50 as far as um, the young people who are wanting to be sports anchors, 50% women and 50% men. And I just think that's so cool because I was told 
at one of my first stations when I was just a, a weekend sports anchor in Macon, Georgia, my boss said, you know what? I think you're pretty talented. Are you sure that you don't want to switch to news? There's way more jobs. Um, it's going to be much easier for you. And I, I, I don't want those comments to be made to young women anymore. You know, I, I want people to be able to just feel like they can follow whatever path that they want to follow. And I, by no means was I one of the first women that was in sports anchor, that was a sports anchor, you know, people like Linda Cohn and Pam Oliver and Robin Roberts, they came so far before me, but it still was not really, really popular whenever I started. And um, one of my first jobs was in Macon, Georgia. I was, like I said, a weekend sports anchor. And I went from there to Kansas City. I worked at um, a regional sports network called Metro Sports. And I went from there to ESPN. And so once I finally got a job, getting that first job was really hard. And it took a couple of years. But once I finally got a job, my uh, my career path kind of skyrocketed probably a little bit too quickly. If I could, if I could redo one thing, I, it might be to slow myself down a little bit. But um, it just, you know, went on from there. And I just was really blessed to work at some amazing places like ESPN and like Fox Sports. And then I finished up at NFL Network. And they were just all incredible experiences. I'm so proud that I had the chance to do all that. So talking about, you know, the one thing that you would you would change is kind of slowing down. Did you feel pressured, you know, being a, a woman in in a predominantly man's world to take every opportunity that you could because you had to work twice as hard to to get to where you wanted to go? No, you know what? Honestly, no, I don't feel like it was because I was a woman that I had to take that opportunity. But I as a 26 year old, I was 26 when ESPN called and offered me a job. Who, who would turn that down? Like you would have to be mature beyond years to say, you know what, maybe I might wait till I have a little bit more experience. When you're 26 and you have always been, you know, at the top of your game and you've worked so hard, there's no reason why you wouldn't think, yeah, let me go take that on right now. Um, and so I think any young person would take a great experience like that. It's, it's almost, I liken it to college basketball players who might need another year in college, but they also might be, you know, a late first round draft pick. It's kind of like, how do you turn that down? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's the thing, you know, is when you, those four letters call you, you know, the ESPN, I mean, anybody in the sports game, I mean, from podcasters like us to people on the news, I mean, you would, definitely jump at that opportunity and you know you've been able to co-host some podcasts and you know get behind the mic on some you know ig videos you know what has that been like (laughs) you know being able to get back you know on the ground and and it's been fun no it's been really fun and it's been it's been easy because i'll tell you and and you know this the hardest part um about working in sports at the national level for me was just trying to keep up with all the information out there. And if you're a play, if you're in a place like ESPN and you are covering everything from the NHL to NASCAR to college basketball, that's a lot on a daily basis. And I remember whenever I worked at the NFL Network, I would sit on my couch on Sunday and and watch football for 12 hours. Like for a lot of people, that might sound wonderful. And it, I definitely enjoyed football, but it was also work where you are, you know, constantly just having to be knowledgeable. 
And with the things that I've been able to do, it's there's, I don't have to go do homework. I already know our team. I, I already know our recruits. And so it really is just, I get the fun part about um, the sports casting and I just get to go out there and talk about what I know about. So has that kind of given you the, the itch to do more of it and, and get back into it? Oh, I don't, you never know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit. I mean, it definitely has been fun, especially um, the IG stuff has been really fun. Just doing the interviews with my husband. It's, it's always fun working with him and the interviewing it. I never did podcasting. It's, you know, a relatively new medium for people. And I didn't know how I was as an interviewer in this long format. You know, it's like, yeah, I've done three minute interviews like all day long, but actually interviewing someone for 45 minutes, that's not really that easy. You know that. And so I didn't know how it was going to go. And I think it went okay. I really had fun with it. Yeah, it, it was really, I mean, especially the last one with all the wives and, you know, that was really cool because you don't get that often, you know, you don't get no. the lives of the wives and they're how they, I mean, I'm interested in all that kind of stuff, you know, how they met, where they're from and, you know, all, you know, cause different coaches, wives, you know, we're all different people and you're brought into this family. And so to hear where they all come from and, it was it was really awesome to, to listen to all that go on. And, you know, your daughter seems to be very natural with social media and her TikTok videos and, <laughs> you know, won the hearts of the Razorback, the, the players and the fans. I mean, do you see her following in your footsteps and see her sports casting one day? I don't know if she is going to be a sports caster necessarily, but I do think she's going to be in either in front of a camera or um, you know, some platform where she's speaking. I, I say I would love for her to be a lawyer because her debate skills are like nothing I've ever seen before. <laughs> but it, uh, it I think skills. anybody, any parent with kids right now in this day and age could all have kids the way they can argue and spin things around. It's like, yeah, I, I know. I feel like I have to put my right hand on a Bible when I start talking to them. I feel like I'm under oath, you know, because they're so good at the arguing and going back and forth. <laughs> oh, and then you, they make you think you're going crazy. You're like, why am I arguing right now with you and you're seven? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, you get, it's that like you take the competitiveness kicks in, like you're wanting to win the argument. And then you got to take a step back. Like, am I really arguing with the 10 year old, you know? So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's switch, you know, to, you know, the community and your nonprofit organizations and all that you're involved in, you know, talk about those nonprofit Profits, um, mainly, you know, talk about like during these times, how hard is it to interact with all those nonprofits and, you know, the response, you know, living in an area like Northwest Arkansas, you know, how has that been for you? Right. Well, um, it's, it's interesting because the nonprofit work that I do, it's something that I never thought of doing like 10 years ago. It wasn't anything that I was involved in and it just came from people asking me to get involved and me saying yes and then realizing that I really enjoyed uh, what I was doing. And then I really was fulfilled by just raising money for good causes. That, that's kind of how I got involved. And it was like little by little. And so it was kind of like one thing and then word kind of got out. And it's funny because whenever I came here, I was just not sure who was going to ask me to do what and everyone asked me. So that, that made me feel great. But um, it's my, my big, the big one that I work with is coaches versus cancer, which is the college coaches getting together um, for the American cancer society. And I started out in Reno 
by holding a pink out game. And that's what we did. We raised, I think, around $21,000 in one minute. It was incredible. And so that was something that I really wanted to recreate here. And I ended up doing that by having a watch party at my house, and we raised $27,000. I'm the co-chair of the Why Didn't Mention That. I'm the co-chair. So I help wives all across the country do that same thing, do what I did. Um, Another one that I'm heavily involved in is the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I was involved in that also in Reno. I was actually on the board. And so whenever I told the board that I was leaving in Reno because of Eric's new job, they said, don't worry, we know the people in Arkansas. So I quickly got connected and just jumped right into that. So those, those are my big ones. Um, I've also worked in the past with the American Heart Association. Anyone who really follows me on, on Instagram or Twitter knows my sister had a heart transplant in October. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about. And we were thinking about trying to figure out how we can get into something with organ donation, my sister and I. So that, that might be the next big thing you hear me talking about, but we'll see. <laughs> well, you know, somebody who is, you know, you do nonprofits, but you're all, if you get engaged, you know, like my, my son, he's got autism. So I'm big with the special Olympics. That's one of my, my passions. And I've actually went and volunteered and, and covered some special olympic events and once you get involved in that kind of work you want to do more what else can i do what else i can so that's it's awesome to hear you know you you're into these big organizations but you're still wanting to grow and you know the make-a-wish foundation i mean that's one of the most amazing things i've seen and i'm sorry i can't watch any of those my wish things without getting emotional because you know being a parent of a kid with special needs, I have told so many people, you know, you what you see on TV and the kids' reactions, but you don't really know what it means to those parents and that kids on a on a emotional level that, you know, they get to do something, you know, for that day, get to feel normal. They get to, you know, do something that other kids couldn't do. So, I mean, it really touches me personally because, you know, I've got to experience things like a Special Olympics track meet where kids are doing obstacle courses in their their wheelchairs and doing things that they never thought they would be able to experience and it's really really awesome it oh it's so awesome and like my i started out getting involved with american cancer society because my mom is a breast cancer survivor but with with the make-a-wish foundation fortunately i have not been a parent of a sick child but after going and seeing like you said one of the events i was like i'm in i'm in I want to do anything I can do. Yeah. When, like when I pull up, I mean, I could pull up to a track meet or a bowling. I mean, cause special Olympics, they do everything. I mean, basketball, bowling, track and field, they even do football and they've started doing unified st- stuff where like my, my son got to go compete in a bowling tournament and they had his stepbrother, my stepson, it was unified. So each one of the kids had got to have a partner of, you know, not, they were non-disabled. So them being able to involve that and collaborate, you know, doing the unified sports is, it's crazy. And it's, I get chills just talking about it. And when you pull up the hair on your arm, stand up and you're just, you turn into a whole nother person. Cause you're just very, anybody in sports, you've covered sports, talked about sports and played sports. It, it really humbles you because you think you're competitive. And at times where, <laughs> you get too competitive. It makes you look because you see these kids, 
you know, running and getting in last place, but they're being hugged and loved on and getting the praise like if they've won the gold medal. I mean, that's what I took away from it. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's absolutely incredible. It's incredible. So when you got to Arkansas, you know, Arkansas, you know, they have a lot of great women's programs having success and, and many of them being nationally ranked. You know, what did that take you by surprise? You know, because when you come to Arkansas, you're you're here for the men's basketball team. But what did it say to you when you've seen that the the women's programs are being very successful and they're growing in, in notoriety? Well, it just makes uh, makes me proud to be a woman, to be completely honest with you. And I remember uh, the first women's game that I went to with my husband and I didn't uh, I didn't get dressed up. I didn't put on makeup or anything like that. We just kind of rolled out of the house. It was on a weeknight and we went in there and there were thousands of people there. And I was thinking, okay, maybe I should have put on a little lip gloss or something. I didn't know so many people were going to be here. And it was just, it was so awesome. And I, I mean, I feel the same way about the gymnastics meets. I mean, my daughter and I, we made, we made dates and we went to several of the gymnastics, gymnastics meets with um, some other coaches, wives and their kids. And it was just such a fun evening for all of us. And just as a, as a parent of a girl, I, want to take my daughter to go see women play you know men's basketball is great football is great we love that stuff but I want women to know you know you can be strong you can go out there and kick butt and you can be an athlete so what better way to do that than to go and see it in person exactly and and with you know social media and twitter and facebook and instagram I've been seeing a lot of you know these these nationally ranked women's basketball players you know NBA players are going to watch them play and you know, they're getting notoriety just as much as the, the men's do. And to me, it, it feels really good because I know how much they've worked hard for their game and, and to get the the publicity that all these players deserve. I think that, you know, women's players deserve just as much as the men's. So seeing these Twitter videos and stuff, it really makes me feel like we're starting to turn that corner and get it to where it's more of an equality. Yeah, we're getting there. We really are getting there. Um, because if I, I think back to even when I was in college, uh, there might have been 500 people in the stands at a women's basketball game at Florida State. It wasn't it wasn't packed like how it is now. And I, a quick, very quick story, like I just said, I went to Florida State and the uh, the coach there when I was in school was named Sue Semeral. And she's still there. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm not young. OK. And whenever we went to the Nike retreat, we get we got to meet all these different coaches. And the number one person I wanted to meet was her. <laughs> and because I looked on the list, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's going to be here whenever I, I mean, I almost tackled her, tackled her when I saw her. I was like, you were the best. You were the coach when I was in school. And um, now now we're actually good friends. But it was she was my number one person that I wanted to meet was this women's coach who has been at the same school for over 20 years, which, you know, that never happens nowadays. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely awesome. And I'm I'm a fellow ACC fan, but I'm I am a fan of the Clemson Tigers. And <laughs> they just now started a, a softball program for the first year ever. And. You know, I was watching videos and there was two to three thousand people because they started off really good. And I really felt bad for them because their season was cut so short. But like you said, you know, you're used to seeing maybe three, four hundred people in the stands and 
for their first year and and to see 1500 to 3000 people at a softball game it's truly amazing oh it's all i mean and here people support everything the only thing we did not get a chance to go to was a softball game but we got a chance to see women's soccer we went to track and field i mean we went to everything that we possibly could in this last year being here and and it was just it was awesome well, yeah, you'll definitely have to get out to a softball game because Coach Dyfel, you know, she's done a really amazing job with that team. And, you know, I've got to witness a couple of the series and, you know, they're starting to play Florida State. They played Florida State this year and, and Baylor. And I'll tell you what, it's fun. I mean, the women's basketball games, it's almost you get that minor league baseball feel when you go watch a women's gymnastics meet or a, um, a women's basketball game because it's about the fans they they interact with the fans and they throw t-shirts they bring the kids out on the baseline and let them you know give high fives to the starting five so I really I think a lot of people are missing out and I'll tell you what you know I know you've been in Bud Walton Arena when 19,000 people's in there and the crowd's going crazy but you know there's times when there's 6,000 there for the women's basketball game and when Alexis Tolfrey hit this three and the crowd erupted it it sounded like it was a full house yeah, it's it's awesome. It definitely is awesome. Well, Miss Musman, I really thank you again for your time. You know, taking time away for these crazy times to be on the Hog Talk podcast, and I really look forward to being able to talk to you in the future. And maybe maybe I'll meet you at a softball game or a basketball game one time. Absolutely, I would love that. I would love that. Well, folks, that's all for this episode of the Hog Talk podcast for me and my co-host. Uh, thank you again to Miss Musselman for being on and moving in. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.